There is just so much miss and dis information about this group. It's actually shocking and stunning. What is the deal? Were they really anti-American? Is it true? They hate white people? What's the deal and why is there a Marvel movie named after them? I mean, what's the story, Morning Glory? Today's podcast is on the history of the Black Panther Party, the real history. Today, we're gonna talk about how typically have the Black Panthers been framed historically as far as popular notions. What is the truth about the Black Panthers and what are some other little known facts about this group which give us a fuller view of this movement. So welcome back to the podcast. Again, we're going to just jump right into information. But so you know, I've got the clarity of peppermint oil rocking. I've got the soothing lavender hints in there ready to go with the oil that i'm burning today so i'm ready to rock and roll today i'm ready to like get some truth out there today is going to be a little bit more of a fact-oriented podcast a lot more research done for this podcast so i'm going to reading be reading information but i put in the notes of where i got my information so you can know that the truth i'm giving to you is the truth as i understand it popping right into the first thing what are some common misconceptions about the black panther party Ever since the Black Panther Party was formed, there have been many misconceptions about what the party actually stood for and what its true ideologies were. It has been assumed that the Black Panther Party was another radical hate group that showed hatred for whites and for the government. So here's some major misconceptions. First, that the Black Panther Party was a media-created group, where they weren't a real group of people and they weren't really interested in stuff. Second idea, the Black Panther Party was an infantile leftist group. Interesting. Say the same kind of stuff about Antifa today, don't they? Third, the Black Panther Party was very anti-white. Hmm. It's so funny. Whenever things aren't about white people, it's about hating white people, isn't it? The Black Panther Party was a lumpen-based organization. The Black Panther Party was considered a very was considered to be very threatening with its revolutionary ideas and the amount of media attention it had been receiving. And the Black Panther Party was believed by some to be created by the media. The kind of news that the media released about the Black Panther Party was considered to be something that had created great news copy with the rallies and the threatening image of the party. The myth of the organization being created by the media does not take into account the amount of community support that the party received as well as the strong dedication of many of its members. The use of firearms as organizing and self-defense tools caused many to believe that the Black Panther Party was an infantile leftist organization. Despite this misconception, the party focused mainly on nonviolent methods and tactics. The Black Panther Party was labeled as an anti-white and hate organization because of it being an African-American organization that was considered to be intimidating. The party was already considered anti-white within the first year that it was conceived and is still to be considered anti-white by many today. Just look at the amount of people that freaked out about the Marvel movie, folks. 
The Black Panther Party was actually, wel actually welcomed white allies and believed in equity for all. It also believed that the Black Panther Party was a lumpen-based organization that thought the party was primarily made up from the black criminal class with thugs, hoodlums, and ex-prisoners as party members. The Black Party Panther mainly received its membership from a broad spectrum of the African-American community. A good portion of the Black Panther Party members were young adolescents in either a high school or college age range. And again, I cited my information. There's another common misconception about the identity and the assessment of the Black Party was the illusion that said the Black Panther Party was nothing but a group of terrorists who only sought violence in exchange for peace. The idea that they were formed to combat Dr. King's non-violent protest is only a false reality. The overwhelming truth is this. The Black Panther Party was an organization that fought to see that blacks in America were treated justly. Yes, they used violence, but only used violence when necessary. Part of the operation of the Black Panthers was to police the police, to make sure that police officers were not treating blacks unjustly. That's it. That's all. It's not complicated. It's not hard to comprehend. They were not a hateful group. They wanted the same treatment as the rest of their fellow Americans. See, for years, the long-held and widely believed misperception to too many Americans that the Black Panthers were domestic terrorists hell-bent on destroying communities and themselves. This information was systematically woven into the retelling of any history regarding the Black Panthers when not summarily erased entirely from all American history books. There's no question the U.S. government had a hand in its fiction and was as a direct function of the counterintelligence programs managed at the time by the FBI as well as local law enforcement departments whose main goal was to discredit the movement of black empowerment and liberation. This decades-long continuum of lies and specific erasure is one of the most substantive movements in the U.S. history and birthed a veil of dishonor to cast over those who were organized with and supported the Black Panthers as well as their revolutionary social justice activities. This preconceived veil of dishonor again was slung over the black lives matter movement as we echo visions of the past in this generation's version of righteous militancy community organizing and defiant protest against police brutality and overzealous policing and a perpetually dubious criminal justice system that fails to acknowledge and respect and treat black bodies fairly or even equally in comparison to white counterparts. I don't need to recount the many disparaging remarks by political entities and others made about Black Lives Matter because you probably heard them just as elders who were active during the Black Party, the Black Panther Party's movement received their own slander in a very similar way. History repeats itself. From Oakland to Brooklyn, the slangs of civilians by those in authority 
continue today as do the challenges to them. But what is propagated today is negativity towards those who have the audacity to raise up their hands in self-defense against these oppressors. These groups say no more. The veil of dishonor is not is theirs, not ours. This dishonor in is in a culture and a system of domestic policing that finds normalcy in the destruction of over thousands of American lives of a year and routinely images and employs foundationally racist police tactics and ignore the rights, privilege, and benefits afforded to all U.S. citizens by the U.S. Constitution, the supreme law of the land, and still allows children to starve, bars people from daily participating in democracy, and the list of systematic inequality goes on and on. These were the type of issues socio-political organizations such as the Black Panthers Party for Self-Defense as well as Black Lives Matter advocate as we must continue to stand tall for all. Even if these organizations and movements fall apart, we can carry the spirit of them within ourselves. We owe it to our ancestors of the past if we do not owe it to the children of the future. We are not more dangerous than our oppressors. We are not animals. We deserve freedom, justice, and peace. All we want is land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice, and peace. This comes from Phyllis J. Jackson, former Black Panther Party member reciting the 10-point program, which I'll get into a little bit more detail as we move in the future. Now, what is the true history of the Black Panther Party movement? The Black Panther Party was allegedly known as the Black Panther Party of Self-Defense, and it was a political organization founded by Bobby Seale and Huey Newton in October 1966. The party was active in the United States from 1966 till 1982, with international trap chairs operating in the United Kingdom from the early 1970s, as well as in Algeria from 1969 until 1972. At its inception in October 15, 1966, the Black Panther's core practice was its armed citizens' patrol to monitor the behaviors of the Oakland Police Department and challenge police brutality in Oakland, California. In 1969, community social programs became a core activity of its party members. The Black Panther Party instituted a variety of community social programs, most extensively the Free Breakfast for Children programs and community health clinics which addressed issues like food injustice. The party enrolled the largest number of members and made the most greatest impact in the Oakland, San Francisco area, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and Philadelphia. The FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover, called the party the greatest threat to internal security of the country and supervised an extensive counterintelligence program of surveillance, infiltration, perjury, police harassment, and many other tactics designed to undermine Panther leadership, incriminate party members, discredit and criminalize the party, and drain the organization of resources as well as person power. The program was also accused of assassinating Black Panther members. The Black Panther Party was involved in many fatal firefights with police, including Huey Newton allegedly killing Officer John Frey in 68 
1968, Eldridge Cleaver led an ambush of police officers, which wounded two officers and killed Panther Party member Bobby Hutton. The party was also involved in many internal conflicts, including the mergers of Alex Hutley and Betty Van Potter. Government oppression initially contributed to the party's growth. Killings and arrests of Panthers also helped to increase support among black people, as well as broad political action from the left, both who valued the Panthers as a powerful force opposed to de facto segregation and of the military draft. The Black Panther Party membership reached its peak in 1970 with offices in 68 cities and thousands of members then suffered a series of contractions. After being vilified by those in the mainstream press, public support for the party waned and the group became more and more isolated. Infighting among the party leadership, largely caused by the FBI's counter-intel pro-operation, led to expulsions and defunctions that decimated its membership. Popular support for the party declined further after reports detailing the group's involvement in such illegal activities such as drug dealing or extortions schemes directed against Oakland merchants. Again, this is part of that counter-intel pro, though. In 1972, most of the Black Panther Party centered its national headquarters in a school in Oakland where the party continued to influence local politics. Though under constant police surveillance, the Chicago chapter remained active in their community programs until 1974. The Seattle chapter lasted longer than most with its community breakfast program and medical clinics that continued even after the chapter disbanded in 1977. The party contractions continued through the 70s and 80s, and at that point, the Black Panther Party just had 27 members. The history of the Black Panther Party is controversial, and scholars have characterized the Black Panther Party as the most influential black movement organization of the late 60s and the strongest link between the domestic black liberation struggle of and global opponents of American imperialism. Other commentators described the party as more criminal than political, characterized by a defiant posturing over substance. Again, that's more critical as far as folks seeing the history of the Black Panther Party movement. To get more into the truth of what the Black Panther Party was about, you can look no further than the 10-point program. The Black Panther Party first published its original 10-point program in May 15, 1967, following the Sacramento action in the second issue of the Black Panther newspaper. The original 10 points of listed were what we want now, follow. We want freedom. We want the power to determine the destiny of our black community. Two, we want full employment for our people. Three, we want to end the robbery by capitalists of our black community. Four, we want decent housing fit for shelter of human beings. Five, we want education for our people that exposes the true nature of this decadent American society. We want an education that teaches our true history and our role in the present day society. Six, we want all black men to be exempt from military service. Seven, we want an immediate end to 
police brutality and the murder of black people. Eight, we want freedom for all black men held in federal, state, county, and city prisons and jails. Nine, we want all black people when brought to trial to be tried by a jury of their peer group from black communities as defined by the Constitution of the United States. Number 10, we want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, and justice. So really when you look at what they're asking for, they're just asking for the things that were supposedly guaranteed in the Declaration of Independence as well as the Constitution. So one of the more popular things that was brought up was the Oakland patrols of police. The initial tactic of the party utilized contemporary open carry gun laws to protect party members when policing the police. This act was done in, was done in order to record incidents of police brutality by distantly following police cars around neighborhoods. When confronted by a police officer, party members cited laws proving they have done nothing wrong and threatened to take any to take to court any officer that violated their constitutional rights. Between the end of 1966 to the start of 1967, the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense armed police patrols in Oakland black communities attracted a small handful of members. Numbers grew slightly starting in 1967 when the party provided an escort at the San Francisco airport for Betty Shabazz, Malcolm X's widow and keynote speaker for a conference held in his honor. The Black Panther Party also were big proponents of survival programs. Spowered by Mao Zedong's advice to revolutionaries and the Little Red Book, Newton called on Panthers to serve the people and make survival programs a priority within its branches. Most famous was the Free Breakfast for Children program, initially run out of an Oakland church. The Free Breakfast for Children program was especially significant because it served as a space for educating youth about the current condition of the black community and the actions around the party were to address that condition. While children ate their meals, members of the Black Panther Party taught them liberation lessons consisting of party messages as well as true black history. Within this program, the party was able to influence young minds, strengthen their ties to communities, as well as gain wide support for their ideologies. The breakfast program became so popular that the Panther Party claimed to have fed 20,000 children in the 1968 to 1969 school year. Other survival programs were free services such as clothing distribution, classes on politics and economics, free medical clinics, lessons on self-defense and first aid, transportation to upstate prisons for families to get to visit inmates. It also included an emergency response ambulance program, drug and alcohol rehabilitation, as well as testing for sickle cell anemia. As for political activities, in 1968, the Black Panther Party Minister of Information, Eldridge Cleaver, ran for presidential office on the Peace and Freedom Party ticket, and they were a big influencer of the White Panther Party, which was tied to the Detroit Ann Arbor band MC5 and their manager, John Sinclair, who was the author of the book Guitar Army, which also propagated the 10-point program. Other little-known facts about Black Panther Party and its ties to women. Women and womanism. 
But in its beginnings, the Black Panther Party reclaimed black masculinity and traditional gender roles. In the first issue of the Black Panther, the Panther's new paper, it applauded the Panthers being, at that time, an all-male organization as the cream of black manhood, therefore the protection and defense of the black community. Scholars consider the party's stance of armed resistance as highly masculine, with the use of guns and violence affirming proof of manhood. In 1968, the Black Panther Party stated in several articles that the role of the female Panthers was to stand behind black men and be supportive. The first black woman to join the party was Joan Takira Lewis. Nonetheless, women were present in the party from early days and expanded their roles throughout the life of the party. Women often joined the party because they were trying to fight against gender unequal gender norms. In 1969, the Black Panther Party officially stated that men and women were equal and instructed male parties to treat female party members as equals, a dramatic change from the idea of the female panther as a subordinate. That same year, Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois chapter conducted a meeting condemning sexism. In 1969, the party considered sexism as counter-revolutionary. The Black Panther parties adopted a womanist ideology in consideration of the unique experience of African-American women, affirming the belief that racism is more oppressive than sexism. Womanism was a mix of black nationalism as well as the vindication of women. Womanism posited that traditional feminism failed to include race and class struggle in its denunciation of male sexism and therefore was a part of white hegemony. In opposition to some feminist viewpoints, womanism promoted that the gender role point of view that women were that men were not above women but hold a different position within the home and within the community. So men and women must work together for the preservation of African American culture and community. From this point forward, the Black Panther Party newspaper portrayed women as revolutionaries, using examples of party members such as Kathleen Cleaver, Angela Davis, and Erica Huggins, all political and intelligent women. The Black Panther Party often showed women as active participants in the armed self-defense movement, picturing them with children and guns as protectors of the home, the family, and the community. Police killed or incarcerated many male leaders, but, but female Panthers were less targeted in the party for much of the 60s, 70s, 60s and 70s. By 1968, women made up two-thirds of the party, while many male members were out on duty. This absence of much of the original male leadership had women move into all parts of the organization. Roles included leadership positions, implementing community programs, and uplifting the black community. Women in the group called attention to sexism within the Black Panther Party and worked to make changes from within. Isn't that cool? They're like they're like doing something about their self within their self while they're trying to make a difference for everyone. From 1968 till the end of its publication in 1982, the head editors of the Black Panther Party were all women. In 1970, approximately 40 to 70% of the members were women. Several chapters like the one in Des Moines, Iowa and New Haven, Connecticut were headed by women. During the 1970s, recognizing the limited access poor women had to abortion, the party officially supported women's reproductive rights, including abortion. 
Within the same year, the party condemned and opposed prostitution. Many African-American women Panthers began to demand child care in order to be able to fully participate within the organization. The Black Panther Party responded to the women by establishing an on-site child development centers with multiple chapters across the states. Child care became a largely group activity, and children would be raised collectively during the week. This was following the Black the Panthers' commitment to collectivism and extension of the African American extended family tradition. Child care allowed women Panthers to still be able to embrace motherhood while at the same time allowing them to fully participate within the party. Creating child care to the party allowed women Panthers to not have to make the choice between motherhood and activism. Again, another fantastic idea. I really think there should be free childcare to all so women can be much more involved in all parts of our community. The Black Panther Party experienced significant problems in several chapters with sexism and gender oppression, including the Oakland chapter where cases of sexual harassment and gender division were common. When the Oakland Panthers arrived to bolster the New York City Panthers, after 21 New York leaders were incarcerated, they displayed such chauvinistic attitudes towards the Black Panther women that they had to be fended off at gunpoint. Some party members thought the fight for gender equality was a threat to men and a distraction from the struggle for racial equality. Again, you see how fragility and hegemony push against things even within movements, right? In response, the Chicago and New York chapters established equal gender rights as a priority and tried to eradicate sexist attitudes. By the time the Black Panther Party disbanded, the official party policy was to reprimand men who violated rules of gender equality. Gender dynamics. From the beginning, recruiting women was not in the forefront of Huey and Bobby's minds. In an interview with Seal, he had hoped that Newton would targeted brothers who had been pimping, brothers who had been peddling dope, and brothers who ain't gonna take no shit. Brothers who had been fighting the pigs. Also, they didn't realize that women could help in the fight until one came into interest asking about female leadership. Regina Jennings recalls that many men in leadership had unchecked the sexism problem, and her task was to lift the bedroom out of their minds. She even remembers an overhearing a conversation between some panthers when being recruited. Some concluded that the FBI sent me, but the captain assured them with salty good humor that she's too stupid to be from the FBI. Oh, that ain't cool. He also thought my cover and comments were too honest, too loud, and too ridiculous to be serious. Yeesh. She recalls her days in Oakland, California as a teenager looking for something to do to add purpose to her life and to her community. She grew up around police brutality, so it was nothing new, and her goal in joining was smashing racism because she viewed herself as black before she was a woman in her community. That identity was what she felt held her back in the most. Now, women had a lot of accomplishments within the Black Panther Party. So at point two is where we're going to wrap up the Black Panther first podcast. So with that, if you have had any thoughts or any ideas where you want to talk to me about the Black Panthers, maybe educate me about some more history, tell me more thoughts and ideas, that would be great. You can voicemail me at 860-576-9393. That's 860-576-9393. Or you can learn about more about me and this organization at www.inclusiveactivism.com. 